right, you guys, episode 47 with Dr. Spencer Nadalski is about to start. And we're going to dive into some really cool stuff, like the fact that he is now an online doctor. How awesome is that? We're also going to dive into different types of medications that might affect your weight loss and a bunch more awesome stuff. So stick around. And again, share this podcast, tell your friends, and I'll be greatly in your debt. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is the wonderful Dr. Spencer Nadalski. Say hello. Hello. Uh, so to break the ice for the audience, I always like to ask my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend? Uh, you know, just going to Home Depot, Bed Bath & Beyond. No, I'm just, <laughs> nice. no, no I'm, I'm, uh, my mom's coming in town, um, hanging out with some of the family and you know, working on some online stuff as usual. Nothing, nothing too crazy this weekend anyway. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so can you tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Yeah, so a quick background. I, my dad is a biology teacher and wrestling coach. My brother is four years ahead of me, really into athletics and science. The gist of it is he went through high school before me, was extremely good at athletics, Couple, uh, four-time state finalist, two-time state champ in Michigan, one of the better wrestlers to come out of the state. And I come in right after him, having very similar aspirations. And I was I had a bit a different body frame. He was shorter, so he grew with his weight classes. I came in tall and a little bit thinner, and not nearly as strong for my height and weight. So um, I didn't do as well at the beginning. So I. I I uh, had to work really hard in the weight room, uh, learning exercise science and nutrition science, and ended up doing extremely well, becoming a state champ eventually, all state football, and ended up, uh, long story short, ended up wrestling heavyweight for the UNC Chapel Hill, Tar Heels, over in North Carolina, doing pretty well there, and then um, got a scholarship and everything, and then Went to medical school. So I went to medical school and I really wanted to use, at first people were like, you got to be an orthopedic surgeon because that's what the athletes do, big guys breaking bones and drilling and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, that's what, every, that's what athletes do. But I, I, I really wanted to use like the nutritional and exercise science to improve uh, the general population's health and chronic disease, prevent, cure, chronic disease, whatever, using lifestyle as medicine, fitness as medicine. And um, so I specialize in family medicine it's like a you know a general almost like a general practitioner, but family medicine is is a little bit more specific. But and then also specialized in uh, obesity medicine, so weight loss medicine. And I um, uh, uh, went through residency, did that. And now my wife's a Navy doctor; she's a neonatology fellow, working with tiny little babies. So I move with her everywhere we go and. Currently, just just quit my clinic job. I was in the clinic for you know, four years or three three and a half years, and quit it. I didn't like the corporate medicine world. Now I'm doing all online in the cloud doctoring, and that's new this week. So that's kind of new. Awesome. So there's a couple of ways I want to go with this. What made you decide to get into uh, the medical profession compared to like maybe the naturopathic medicine side? Yeah, so you're you're limited with natura, naturopathic medicine, and also you know, like so anything that a naturopathic physician can do, I can do that. You know, I, it, the laws you're bound by laws, and so I wanted to make sure there was nothing um, holding me back from doing any anything I wanted to do with practice, and also you know the the curriculum for naturopathic. Medical school it just it differs from school to school. The the uh, standards aren't 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 very well known. So I figured the um, uh, best route would be to go to uh, um, just med- medical school. Although I I went to an osteopathic medical school. It's different here in the states. You can become a DO instead of an MD, and so it's uh, we we have the same license. Basically, we can do all the same stuff. It's just that we're we also added in something called osteopathic manipulation. In Canada, DOs are, are more like chiropractors, I guess, is the, would be like the, the look for them. But uh, in the States, DOs are, are like just like MDs, but with a little bit added uh, training for 
uh, manipulative medicine. Okay. Yeah, because I know, like, at least here in Canada, naturopaths are pretty popular. And yeah. I think in the States, there are certain states that don't even allow the practice. Yeah. No, there's only a few states that they, they are allowed to, like, prescribe and things like that. So, the, yeah, you're, you're bound by the laws. So do you think naturopathic medicine would complement the medical field, or do you kind of, like, what's your whole, like, view on it? Yeah, so I've I've met some really smart naturopathic physicians. I've met some ones that are just completely, uh, I don't I don't know if you want to say bonds, but they're bonkers. I mean, they yeah. they completely not even not at all science based. Just just making up stuff. But then I've met some other really smart ones. So I think I think it would be really good to have an evidence based naturopathic physician working with um, osteopathic or allopathic physicians. And, and to, I, I could foresee a way to complement each other, you know, you know, working on um, supplements and, and herbs that have evidence behind them, and and that maybe the patient would like more of a uh, approach like that. So I think I think it'd be worth it. Okay, because I know I find like I don't want to like blanket statement, but a lot of like regular medical doctors don't even pay attention to that because they just think it's like whatever. <laughs> And like I work with one naturopathic doctor with my clients out here where I am and uh, he actually like reaches out to all the medical doctors of his patients to see if he can work together and I asked him like, so what's your success rate? And he's like, I got about three doctors that are open to it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. So, you know, they, a lot of, um, there's a lot out there that give them bad names. I mean, we got, a, we got bad, we have some in, obviously in our profession that give us bad names as well. So it's, it's everywhere, but. Um, so I could see that being an issue for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so going on to your online platform, like what made you decide to quit your job completely and hope for the best? And I'm just going to get all my patients online. Like what kind of sparked that to start? Yeah, the medical, so the medical world, um, uh, is, so the, the corporate medicine world is so, you, you don't have any autonomy. So what happened is basically everybody, I don't know what it was, you know, 60s, 70s, all this time, you know, doctors used to graduate medical school, go through training, residency, and then they uh, put their shingle out. They basically had opened up their little practice in some town, and then people would start coming to them. Uh, in the 90s, these places started getting bought out by big, huge medical corporations, uh, hospital um, organizations. And because it, it turns into one big referral network to go to the specialist and go to the hospital and use their services, and then everybody's connected. But once you get bought out, you, lo you lose autonomy. And, and one of the most important things for somebody's happiness is, is autonomy. If you feel like you don't have any autonomy, you could be making a great paycheck, but just it's just you don't feel fulfilled. And that's so you see a lot of what's called physician burnout. It's really big. I'm only a few years out of residency, and I was getting it big time. I was like, "This this system is awful. You're you're making me see patients, you know, every ten to twenty minutes. The nurse takes ten minutes with them, so I'm left with like five to ten minutes at the most. And then, and then I don't get to give my lifestyle prescription because some people are very interested in that. It's not just you know, don't people don't just come in asking for a prescription. Uh, some people want the lifestyle stuff, which is important, of course, since I want to push that. And and it just and you just you lose all that control, and it's just all about the numbers. It's all about the bottom line of making money. So um, it was interesting. I was actually created my own job within this company I was working for. It was going to be the obesity specialist uh, for the whole huge huge hospital system. And just bureaucratic processes kept going slower and slower. It just kept getting delayed. And finally, this company, SteadyMD, was a brand new startup. And they said, hey, um, you got a good online following. You're young. You understand technology. We want to bring doctoring online. And I've been wanting to do this for quite some time since my wife's a Navy doctor. And we move every few years. And also, I'm so interested in the online coaching, nutrition and exercise coaching platform that everybody's kind of been putting out since like precision nutrition if you know them been following them for a while so 
I was like, God, if we can do this with doctoring. So this company, SteadyMD, comes to me and says this, and I, I say, interesting. Finally, um, I was putting it off because I'm like, I don't know. I, I got a good job what I'm doing right now. It just kept getting so bad to the point where finally I said, you know what? I quit, and I and this company, SteadyMD, offered me a full-time to be their first full-time doctor to see if this model will work. So I'm helping pioneer this uh, brand-new platform. That's awesome. So with SteadyMD, like – is it a software that patients use or is it just like a, almost like a portal for you to communicate with them? Like how is it kind of set up? Yeah. So the initial thing, so they have a special, uh, HIPAA compliant or secure app. So you, instead of just messaging through Facebook where people can get in, see your secure data, which is, you know, it's a violation. Um, uh, they have an app where it's all secure. You have your patients in the app they can communicate with you privately. It's like a text messaging app. We have these little channels. Each channel is, is based on each problem that they have. Uh, so say blood pressure, blood sugars, and then we can make one about diet and exercise so that you can separate each little thing out. And then we have a, a secure uh, online like Skype type of thing. It's called Zoom. We, we have it secured so where they're basically talking to me face-to-face through like a Skype-like um interface and I'm typing it into their chart and talking to them and I get 60 minutes from the get-go and then it's just straight up it's we don't do insurance not yet anyway maybe in the future but um, right now it's just $80 a month cash uh, but you get direct access to me at all times text me instead of waiting for um, um, instead of waiting for the front desk to pick up the phone or get off you know on hold you are able to text me directly, and I get back to you pretty quickly. And um, we work through all your medical stuff and then repeat Skype visits as much as you want. But the really cool thing is is instead of like taking a half day off of work and going and, and driving to your doctor's office and then sitting in the waiting room, and then once you get finally in the doctor's office and, and exam room, and then you, you get like five to ten minutes with them, maybe longer if it's the doctor pushes for it, um, only for them to give you like a quick script and they don't even know you well. So with this, you get to 60 minutes onboarding, uh, Skype visit. You have me by text. You don't have to wait till another visit. You don't have to travel. You have all your stuff in one place. And so it's, it's a out of the box thing. It's Hey, you know, I'm not feeling well. You text me in the morning. Oh, Oh, interesting. Tell me a little bit more about it. Text back. Boom. All right. Maybe you need a medicine. Hey, we need to chat a little bit more. Let's talk on the phone or Skype. Or here, I'll order you this, this, and this. I'll order you some labs. I'll order you this. I'll refer you there. It's all very, very um, new age, out of the box thinking for medicine. That's really cool. Are Are you able to like prescribe medicine depending mm-hmm. if? Okay, awesome. Yep, just not controlled stuff unless I see him in person. So like Adderall, like a, a methamphetamine, I'd have to see in person. Those are very control. I'm getting a lot of people wanting, I think it seems like a lot of people want testosterone. So I'm like, (laughs) I can't technically do that unless I see in person. And also when, if you're working somebody up for hypogonadism and you do actually give them testosterone, you're supposed to do a prostate exam. So it's like, you know, it's (laughs) like, Oh, so I guess I could meet you at a Starbucks somewhere, but I'm somehow I got to stick my finger up your ass. So, (laughs) you know, like, like, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. So that, you know, we could just refer to a, urologist or an endocrinologist in the area um, for that but yeah it's very cool though yeah I think like eventually our technology will expand your business because I remember watching a TED talk and there was a doctor that created a attachment to an iPad and he was like I think it was for ultrasounds and he showed a demonstration where the patient from somewhere else in the world can actually take the ultrasound machine put it on their stomach and then the doctor yep. has a view of it and he can tell you oh, stop there he can take the image of it and then diagnose and I'm like man that is so cool yeah yeah that's that's exactly that so that's that's kind of the new this new uh, new age way of thinking we're trying to we're, we're trying to do it in like almost like a primary care sense like other specialists it would be great for like we had a you know people that have strokes at a at a hospital that doesn't have a, a stroke specialist, you know, a, a, a good neurologist maybe in the area. So they can quickly put them on the video and, and decide what to do. But now 
with this, it's a little bit different. It's like, hey, a long-term primary care type of provider to give another set of eyes on everything. You know, we don't do physical exams. Of course, I think that's less important now uh, unless you have an acute issue. But, um, you know, we can look at your preventive care, look at everything else, do other things. It's, it's, it's cool. Yeah, like I think with Precision Nutrition, like, because they have a software they can coach up. I think John Burney yeah. set up to like 300 clients with one coach. Yeah. With your system that's set up, like how many patients are you able to see or coach throughout like the month? So their, um, their model, they want doctors to have 400 to 600 patients as opposed to like a 3,000 patient panel. Yeah. The difference between that and like say uh, Precision Nutrition is um is is that we're not like we're not like hands on coaching every day every you know monthly it's like you get to know somebody and then you help them with their medical issues um, I do do some coaching through it just because I you know that's why people signed up with me it's like hey can you help me with my lifestyle but it's not so it's not so structured like uh, Precision Nutrition or some of these other online coaches I did that before and I actually didn't like it so much. I'd rather I'd rather either maybe down the line hire my own online coach to do that stuff and me focus on the medicine or I'll just refer out uh, which you know I'm, I'm partnered with all these different uh, online coaching platforms so I have lots of different people to refer to awesome um, so I wanted to kind of get into nutrition and with people that are like obese or overweight, if they like came to you and hired you, like what are the first couple things you want to assess and kind of figure out about themselves and then like prescribe something like, what would your process mm -hmm. be? Yeah. So I, yeah, I did this at the, the conference. I just, um, spoke at the fitness summit. I, um, I, I, I do a good, um, I do a good assessment first. I want to know what they've done in the past. Everybody's probably, if they're overweight or obese, they, they've tried they've tried, tried a few things. They've tried a, a bunch of things usually, right? Some people haven't, but it's, it's for the most part, everybody's tried something. And I want to look for clues of what they've tried before that have actually been successful. Because usually what I find is that something was somehow successful. And if you can clue in on that and then maybe find out why – you know, some people may say successful means they lost the weight and kept it off. I would, I don't know, like you could look at it as a few ways, but in my view, they lost the weight, kept it off for a few years, and some sort of life event happened that derailed them. That's what I, I keep seeing this pattern. Either they had babies, a death in the family, a job change, a divorce, um, something like that derailed them. It's, it's, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, I just couldn't sustain it. Well, that's that's something that's a clue that you may want not want to go with that diet, or maybe you want to use some elements of it and then and then taper off to a more sustainable program. But what I, I, I foresee or I see a lot of times is they were doing great and then just something derailed them. So then we go towards that type of program. So for some, they did extremely well with Weight Watchers. That means that they're good at. They, they don't mind journaling, um, counting calories of some, some sort of method of counting uh, calories. Uh, and, then, and then maybe they need a, a little bit more of the support. Maybe that's part of it. Or maybe they, they actually did extremely well on a low-carb diet. They didn't like counting. They just kind of went towards you know, food quality of some sort. They cut out carbohydrates and didn't really mind it. It was just something derailed them there. So yeah, similar stuff. I just try to find clues. When I do that, then I go to a further assessment of what we call comorbidities. So things that are related to their weight, uh, illnesses or, or diseases or syndromes. So for a lot of people, that's you know, hyperlipidemia or elevated triglycerides, uh, low HDL, um, their sugars are off, the insulin resistance patterns, type 2 diabetes, prediabetes. Um, uh, also, reflux, sleep apnea, blood pressure. So we, I started assessing these things. I also want to rule out secondary causes of obesity. So you just don't want to miss thyroid. It's, it's more often than not, you know, when I see 100 or 200 people in a few weeks, 
maybe one out of those people, their weight was co- maybe caused by <laughs> their thyroid. It's, it's very rare. It's, it's actually not, but you just don't want to miss it. So I, I rule that out. You look for other signs of other secondary causes. There's something called Cushing's disease, which is excess cortisol made by the, um, by, by your adrenal glands, um, either due to your pituitary issue or because of the adrenal glands. Um, and then there's actually secondary causes by medications that they're taking, which is a big thing people may not realize is their medicines are making them gain weight, increasing their appetite somehow, changing the partitioning of their nutrients or something. Either it's instead of partitioning it into muscle or whatever, it's causing them to exponentially gain fat they're eating um and so that's kind of what i do and then and then we just start going through what they eat in a daily uh, like a normal day so i start uh, food recall is not the greatest it's, it's inaccurate right that's that's what all the studies show but what i find is most people have very similar eating patterns at least i can kind of clue in onto those so like for example someone in the morning oh, i always have a few eggs and uh, a yogurt. That's probably not their worst meal. Yo- breakfast is usually not people's worst meal, but um, um, unless they go to Starbucks. So if you find they go to they run out of the house and they love getting their their frappuccino or something from Starbucks or a coffee house, I hone in on that real quick because that's like that's an easy fix, right? So I'm finding lunch lunch time is um, a lot of people are eating out for lunch because they're colleagues order out they want to go be social with their their colleagues uh, and friends that co-workers um that's sometimes an easy fix and then dinner you know looking at portion control so looking just looking at patterns looking at patterns and then um following up trying to see where what kind of path we're going to put this person on awesome um so you mentioned medications that could cause weight gain like mm. this is just like an observation for me but with clients that I've had in the past that were on like antidepressants they were always the difficult ones to lose weight so what are kind of medications out there that people take most commonly can kind of affect the weight loss yeah so antidepressants specifically there's one called Paxil Um, that's the one of the the uh, SSRI selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors those are those are the most common uh, first-line antidepressant medicines. Paxil, the, the, that out of all of them, is the one that's associated with some weight gain. There's actually a medicine called Wellbutrin or Bupropion, which actually may help with weight loss. So it's it's a consideration when I am looking at antidepressants to make sure I put them on the right one. There's also some people use these antipsychotic type of medicines for uh like off-label depression and mood use. A lot, a lot of these psychiatrists and doctors get into some crazy cocktails, and but those those medicines are so powerful and they cause a lot of weight gain, um, Seroquel and Risperdal, these types of things. So I, I try to stay away from. I, I don't I don't mess with those personally, but I if someone's on those, I have them discuss with their psychiatrist alternatives because uh, those could be a big barrier. You may also see antidepressants being associated with troubles with weight loss, maybe not even anything from the medicine, but simply because of the comorbidity of depression um, may, may influence some of their lifestyle, you know. But another option is strictly or just simply cognitive behavioral therapy, which is non-pharmacological, so they, you, it's actually just as good if they have mild to moderate depression, you know, just talking to somebody using cognitive behavioral therapy, changing um, kind of the way they think and, and triggering uh, their thoughts and, and, and working through that. Other things are like birth control. So just the pill, the pill by itself isn't associated necessarily with weight gain. It's kind of neutral. Some people gain weight. Some people lose weight. But the depo shot, medroxy, uh, progesterone, acetate, or whatever, the, the depo shot, what people use for uh, every three months for, for birth control, that one is associated with some weight gain. So that's something to know. Uh, and then there's some diabetes medicines, obviously insulin, and there's medicines called sulfonylureas, which make you gain weight. We have a lot better medicines now that can help with weight loss, actually, for diabetes. And then there's a few other nuanced ones, but um, 
those are the main ones. Okay. So would you ever want to like get a patient off antidepressants if they're say eating right, exercising more, or would you kind of just leave that be if they're continuing taking it? Yeah, it depends on the person. If they more moderate depression, I don't mess with it, but I find that a lot of people were started on an antidepressant because of some life event and they were kind of going through a, um, a more acute depression at the time. And so you're like, when did you start this? Well, it was like four years ago when my mom died. Okay. Do you feel depressed now? And how bad was it? Well, I, I feel good now. Well, are you interested in coming off of it? Actually, yeah, I was hoping I would wean off of it. Okay, well, if you, you keep close contact with that person, they have no suicidal ideations. They don't, they don't want to kill themselves or anything like that. You can, you know, I, I safely take people off a lot. You start noticing their mood starts worsening, you just put them, you slowly put them back on. You just got to have good, a very good um, rapport with the patient and, and, and close contact. But that's, that is something I do. Okay. Yeah, because I had one client, and I was talking to him, and he's uh, been on the same antidepressant medication for the last 10 years. Yeah. And I'm like, do you feel any different? He's like, eh. And I'm like, maybe you should just talk to your doctor and see if, yeah. like, you need to, uh, like, change it or get off it. And he's yeah, like, yeah, it's worth, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's totally worth it. And, it, you know, the worst comes, you know, the worst comes the worst, you go back on it. I mean, obviously, if the, the effects are really bad, that, that would obviously not be good, you know, if you start feeling suicidal that that I, I have not at all even close come to that because you know you scream were you ever suicidal if they're ever suicidal I, I don't I don't even think about weaning them off but that doesn't you know that doesn't happen yeah. too often and they're usually seeing a psychiatrist if that's the case mild to moderate I, I usually deal with okay uh, so jumping back to nutrition um I find, yeah, like with every client, they've probably done like a handful of different diets and cleanses and things like that. And it's interesting that like I've had this conversation a billion times with my clients where they would rather like put themselves through like a month of suffering and not eating anything that they enjoy compared to, oh, I'm going to eat lean protein, lots of vegetables, lots of water. Like mm -hmm. why do you think people go down that route of like, it has to be really, really difficult for in order for me to like see success. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's almost like a, like a, a military like mindset. Like it has to be, it has to be, um, uh, has to be almost militant. It has to be. I don't know. It's it's an interesting. So, so I usually have them. Ask them why? Why do you why do you feel that way? Like why do you think that it's okay to be aggressive? And like I I'm very aggressive with some in the beginning. You, you do a good dietary, you know, re, um, good history taking, and then you you know if you can be a little bit more aggressive with somebody if they need it. If they're extremely overweight or whatever. But um, you know, some people are like, no, I just 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 tell me what to eat and let's let's do this. And it's just like, has this worked in the past before? Like you've done this multiple times. Why are you like, why, why do you think this will work? And so you, the, really, it's all about talking to somebody. Just, what are they thinking? Why do you think this? Let's, maybe we can um, restructure the way you're thinking. That's, that's, yeah, because like, recently I've changed my mind about like when clients come up to me, they're like, oh, what do you think about this cleanse? And before I'd be like, try to educate them like, <clears throat> hey, this is probably not a good idea. You're probably going to lose a lot of muscle mass. And now it's like, okay, they've already made up their mind <clears throat> and uh, they're not going to change. So why not like encourage them? Okay, sure. Go for it. Let's do it. But what are we doing on like day 31 after the 30 day cleanse and kind of go with their momentum because now they're kind of excited to try a new diet. Whereas before they might've like not wanted to do anything at all. Yeah, no, I, I've actually had, I've had a lot of people, um, uh, do extremely well with more of an aggressive, like rapid fat loss approach in the beginning. Uh, it, it does get them excited, but so the thing is, though, it does. It's it's not. So it's not sustainable. And that's what everybody says. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. It's like, no, no. This this isn't going to be sustainable. But if you can, if you can launch somebody into a rapid fat loss approach, and you know, rapid is 
relative, right? I say rapid because it sounds sexier, you know, it gets people going. But um, <laughs> really, it's maybe, you know, the highest I ever go is like four to five pounds per week. And those are for my patients, like, you know, almost 300 pounds or more, you know. So, like, someone who's like 200-ish pounds, they might three to four pounds at the most. Um, but generally, it ends up being more like two pounds a week-ish. You know, that's like, yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty rapid. I mean, nobody's losing 10 pounds in a week. And if they are, um, I don't know, I don't know what they did. They chopped off their leg usually, but where they had their, you know, bariatric surgery. But so it's, I've had a lot of success being aggressive, doing a rapid thing, but, but then going, okay, you have to in the middle of that because they're going to, by the end of the month, a lot of them are like, all right, I'm sick of this, whatever. Um, you have to start coaching onto the to the next steps of how to make it sustainable transitioning to, um, more sustainable habits. And it, it, it does. Cause, cause then all of a sudden the weight loss will eventually, they will start slowing down and you just, it, it's all about coaching them correctly and having them understand it. But even when you do that, there's a lot of people just, they want more and more faster. And it's just like, all right, you didn't, you didn't put on this weight in a month. So it's not it's not gonna come off all in a month, but <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Good, which, yeah. Um, so you were also like saying with like the thyroid, because I find um, a lot of clients who've failed miserably doing different diets and trying to lose weight, they kind of just like, oh, it's probably because my thyroid's not working. Yeah. Like, that is that a pretty like common thing or like it's it's, it's very uncommon. In okay. fact, it's like my brother's an endocrinologist, and I I almost did endocrinology, but I. Long story short, I didn't want to deal with a lot of the other stuff with endocrinology, but um, it, they want to make shirts that just say it's not your thyroid because it's usually not. It's it's just 90 some percent of the time it's it's not your thyroid. It's very rare. Not rare, like Hashim. I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I have hypothyroidism myself. Hypothyroidism itself is not rare, but your weight issues are usually not your thyroid but i will say it's you don't you don't want to miss it you you want to rule it out you want to make sure so it's good to get it tested and and looked at okay um the other thing i was going to bring up because i think chris scott dixon or you might have posted it but it was the um study on the adrenal fatigue and everyone was sharing yeah. and commenting on it and I kind of wanted to get your opinion about it about this whole like idea of adrenal fatigue like what's your take on that yeah so that's it's something I get really passionate about because um I, I had some doctors when I was younger you know trying to teach me that yeah this is a real thing blah 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 blah, blah. so I throughout my medical school and training I actually did all the testing on myself and all these salivary testing. I did them all at the same time, sent them in at the same time because I wanted to see what was going on. The lab testing was all over the place. None of them correlated with each other. Some said I was adrenally fatigued. Some said not. Some said I was in the middle. And then, um, and then when you actually look at the pathophysiology of what they're saying adrenal fatigue is, your adrenal glands don't actually fatigue. It's a bad, it's a, it, it's a misnomer. It's not, that's not actually what happens. The real smart people that, that kind of still push this idea of adrenal fatigue, they'll actually call it a, a hypothalamic pituitary axis, um, uh, dysfunction, which basically means some sort of disruption between your, the hypothalamus in your brain and the connection between your pituitary glands and then your adrenal glands, HPA axis dysfunction. Um, so what they're going to say is that it's, no, your adrenal glands don't actually fatigue, which they don't. That's that would be very dangerous. Called Addison's disease or adrenal insufficiency, where your your uh, adrenal glands just don't work anymore. So, in adrenal fatigue, what the the initial book that came out, I don't know, it was early two thousands or nineteen nineties, I can't remember. Basically, saying your adrenal glands are just getting tired and and sick, and because you're taxing them, we're all stressing ourselves. That actually doesn't happen so you can stimulate them with this uh, ACTH test and, and they'll they'll stimulate just fine so they're not getting fatigued there may be some maladaptive thing going on where you know your the connection between your brain and your adrenal glands um, 
may change based on all your stresses and stuff, but it's nothing's getting fatigued. So I agree with that, that review. It basically said there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. There is burnout though. People are exercising all the time. That's a, it's a different process, but it's not adrenal fatigue. Um, you know, a lot of endocrinologists I've talked to and things like that, just my own research and doing my own testing. You know, I, I fully agree. There is no adrenal fatigue. There is, there are stresses in life that can cause us to feel tired and we got to find out what's making us tired, but it's not necessarily a pathology of our adrenal glands, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. So people are, people are tired. You know, it's like, well, you don't care about people. It's like, no, I do care. I want to find out what their fatigue is from, but the, it's not because of their adrenal glands. So I found that a lot of people, they come in, someone diagnosed me with adrenal fatigue. I'm like, hmm, interesting. And I don't just tell them they're an idiot. I, I go, okay. <laughs> Well, um, that's interesting. Let's let's talk a little bit more. What I what I find is that a lot of these people they have like sleep apnea and other issues. Some had like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, like I have. Some have anemia, B12 deficiencies, and it's like someone just said, "Oh yeah, you got to have adrenal fatigue," and then they start um, um, start giving them supplements and whatever. Okay, like with. Um the general population, most of them probably don't have the greatest like sleep routine ever. And I think even for my clients, like that's what I look at is I, I just ask them like, well, how much sleep do you get? And usually it's like five to six hours a night and then a high stress job. And I'm like, well, no wonder you feel tired all the time. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, what do you kind of um, try to gear towards for the individuals that have trouble sleeping? Like, what are a couple ways of improving sleep quality? Um, a lot of it is, you know, sleep hygiene, et cetera, you know, the same stuff. Getting a cool, dark um, room, no pets in the room, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. But some of that also people have insomnia we start working through a cognitive behavioral therapy again you know um the standard stuff i mean i i, I follow the, the same guidelines anybody else does for helping people through it okay do you, do you find like high uh, caffeine intake affects um people's sleep cycles as well yeah later in the day because mm -hmm. like for me personally like i can drink coffee at like 10 p.m at night and then just be like, just out like a light. And I've, I think I talked to like Kamal Patel and told him that anytime I drink caffeine or like pre-workouts, I get like nothing from it. And I've always wondered like why, like what's going on inside my body that I don't get any kind of like jitters. Whereas like my wife, if she drinks one cup of coffee, she's like, oh my God, like I can't like stop shaking. So what, yeah. what do you think is going on there with some people that can drink coffee like six cups a day and nothing happens to them and then you have the individual that drinks one and is like buzzing like a bee yeah there's some some people have different tolerances to it some people they metabolize in caffeine differently that's possibly why they metabolize it metabolize it fast some do it slow it really just depends there's probably a few other things going on too tolerances and etc yeah, because, like, personally, I can, like, my favorite drink at Starbucks is, like, a quad shot Americano, and that just tastes amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, like, yeah. I wish I could use that for, like, a pre-workout, but I get, like, no energy from it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you may want to take a, do, do, you know, take a break, let your body recharge, or just maybe you don't need it. Yeah, because I remember, like, talking to a client about my coffee intake and they're like you know what you should go off it for a month and see how you feel and so I did and I'm like I feel exactly the same like it doesn't it didn't really change anything so I'm like curious so what would yeah. you like is there like a test that people can take on something like this or like a blood test or something like that yeah there, there are you can get the genetic testing in 23andMe I believe they had it at least before um, so yeah, you can, you can look at that. I can't remember the exact, uh, enzyme it was, but they, they used to be able to do it. Okay. Now going back to the whole adrenal fatigue thing. So if a health professional diagnosed someone with <clears throat> adrenal fatigue, should the, 
patient or client just run away from the other direction? Yeah, I would. I mean, yeah. I, I, that's what I basically say. If somebody's diagnosing me with adrenal fatigue, I would, I would get a different doctor, honestly. Like, I'm just in, like, curious about, like, how the term adrenal fatigue got so popular and everyone kind of just stamped any kind of, like, bodily issue that, oh, boom, it's probably adrenal fatigue. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what happens. Yeah, it's like even clients can pick that up. Like, you know, they go on Facebook and they see a video that these three signs are why you are super tired and it's most likely adrenal fatigue. And Yeah, it's BS. <laughs> like, it, it's so tough with our industry because there's so much crap out there. And, you know, your patients and clients will come to you the next day and be like, oh, I saw this video last night. Like, what do you think? And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, it's so bad. Well, for you, like, personally, have you seen any, like, horrible advice going through the medical field that just kind of, like, you'd want to just do a facepalm? Um, not, I mean, like, when you're in the evidence-based world, you know, where everybody's trying to stay up to date, um, uh, it's pretty good. But when you start getting out into fringe, you know, internet world, you start seeing some crazy stuff, um, you know, it's it's obviously the detox plans and all that stuff, but there's you know there's always a new thing every day coming out. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I was gonna ask because now that you're a parent and a doctor, like I would assume that your schedule is super super busy. How do you make fitness a priority? And like, what is your kind of tips or tricks for parents that are struggling making you know their health a priority with kids? Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where, you know, priority is a priority. You got to understand that if you want to be there for your kids later on in life and take care of them, you got to take care of yourself too. So, you know, hopefully you, know, you, you don't get in the mode where you just oh, it's fast. I might as well just order pizza instead of creating healthful meals. It's really really getting into the mode of of trying to be a good role model for your kids. I I think. I mean, that's People will be like, oh, you don't even know. You don't have like four kids, right? It's like, it doesn't matter. I guarantee, no matter what, I'll always be a good role model. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, so it's, it's, it's kind of, I work on acceptance-based therapy, accepting things are going to be less pleasurable than the alternative type of thing, this chicken and vegetable and uh, rice meal is less pleasurable than you know, the high fat, easy pizza from Papa John's, but, um, it aligns with my values a little bit more. It's, it's a mindset thing, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to teach it, but it's, it, it can take some counseling and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause I find it really interesting, like training clients over the years. And an example I always give is like, I have one mom with two kids and she'll come in three days a week at 6am no matter what. And then I have like another mom that one day a week in the middle of the day is like the hardest thing that she can ever do in her life. And I'm like, what's like the difference between these two individuals? And I'm always curious, like, is it a priority thing? Like, is it their motivation? Like, do they have like a need that they want to get healthy? Or is it just because like, oh, I need to exercise because that's the thing to do? Yeah, no, exactly. I, it's hard. It's hard to say. Um, uh, you know, some people get into it because they just know they need to do it. Some people become such a habit that they love it. You know, some people, I don't know. So I, my goal is always to get people to do what they enjoy and, um, really enjoy the process and feeling good about it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but it takes, you know, like I said, getting a rapport with somebody, really finding out what makes them tick. Like, what's your success like success rate on adherence and exercise when you prescribe it to your patients? Like, do they are they really open to it, or they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it whenever I have time? Like, what's kind of the typical scenario for you? Yeah, it depends. So if they're coming to me, just so I'm not in the clinic anymore. So most people that sign up with me online, they know what I'm about. They're coming to me for that. But before, when I was in the clinic, and I'd see people that didn't really know me very well. Um, it's it's a whole nother ball game. In a physical, I'd be like, "Hey, do you exercise?" And like, "No." I'm like, "All right, are you interested in exercise?" And they go, "Yeah, I know I should." Well, you know, 
I'd say my success rate is a lot lower with that person, but I, I'm a lot more successful than my peers at doing it because I actually bring it up and then I give them options of how I can help them. And sometimes I even go to the gym with them to help, help get their adherence up. Um, as opposed to like someone else who, um, who, uh, comes to me for that, then the adherence is super high. So how many doctors in the medical field are kind of doing what you're doing where they rather prescribe like lifestyle changes and exercise compared to like, oh, you have high blood pressure, here's some medication? Yeah. Um, say that again. What's the question? Oh, um, like in your industry, like how many other doctors are kind of doing what you're doing compared to like a regular doctor if someone came in saying like, oh, I have high blood pressure and they just give them medication compared to like, oh, maybe let's see what's going on in your life and maybe exercise and better eating habits? Um, I don't know. So the guidelines are show that lifestyle is number one, you know, but um, due to time constraints, et cetera, um, it's a lot less, you know. So I, I, I'm in a small percentage, but um, I know that other doctors know that it's number one lifestyle, but uh, they don't necessarily do it. Yeah, because I find like with my clients who have high blood pressure, like they don't want to take medication; they want to get off it. So I'm always like curious, like why don't didn't your doctor just like say, hey, maybe you should be a little bit more active compared to like, yeah, here's a prescription and that's it, and then you don't see him until two months down the road to see if your blood pressure went down. Right, right. No, I think it's extremely. You know, it'd be nice to try it, but. Some patients, they say, oh, I'm going to try it, and then they actually don't, and then you're just keeping their blood pressure high, so you got to really have close follow-up. Yeah, definitely. Now, looking ahead in the future, like, what are your goals for now, your online business of being an online doctor? Like, say, for example, for the next two years, like, where would you want to see this kind of go into? Um, I'd like to get a bunch of other docs, you know, who lift and just kind of make this whole thing uh, accessible to other people who don't have a doc who lifts in their vicinity to where they can get one online. Awesome. So what would be like the major, like, like if you wanted to go, say, across the whole world, because I think you're only in the States right now, right? Yeah. So we got to get other docs who lift in in each country if we want to do that. So you wouldn't be able to, like, have a patient somewhere in Europe, you would have to just stay in the United States? Um, yeah, I'd stay here, but I'd have to get someone else in the different countries, and then we'd have to find the laws, etc. Okay. And for, like, because I don't know how it works in the States, but say if you had someone in the state of New York, would you need a different license to be able to prescribe? Yeah, so okay. I, have to, I have to get uh, licenses in each um state that I practice in. Okay. That's all. It seems like a lot of work to get to like almost every single state, hey? Right. It is. So that's why we're going to try to get other doctors to fill the gaps. So what's kind of like the ideal patient that you're looking for? Like if someone was interested in this service, like who are you kind of looking for and who would be a good match for this kind of uh, idea? Like the, the patients or yeah, the doctors? the patient. Yeah, basically anybody looking for a doctor who wants to spend more time with them to work on lifestyle to improve their their chronic conditions, basically. That's kind of what I say. And someone, you know, if you want to have more close contact with somebody who fits your lifestyle and fitness. Okay. Because yeah, I know, um, like in the States, everyone has to pay for their um, medical, right? Or is it different in certain states? Yeah, no, that is true, unless you you are poor and have like what's called Medicaid, you know, if you don't, if you, poverty, um, but, um, but yeah, for the most part. Okay. So what does it compare? Cause it's 80 bucks, right? Per month. And what does it yeah. compare to what the people in the States are paying per month for their, um, medical? So, so yeah, it's 80 bucks a month flat fee. You get direct access to this, but, um, for like insurance and everything else, like it's it's hard to say how much they'd have to pay because then they still have to have insurance for catastrophic stuff if they had to go to the hospital or see a specialist. 
medicines, et cetera, like that. Okay. So I wanted to also ask you, like, if you had to give, like, one piece of, like, medical advice to everyone in the world, like, what would it be and why? One piece of medical advice to the world? It would be understanding how powerful lifestyle can be um, uh, compared to medicines. I mean, the thing is, medicines are extremely powerful, and if you need them, you need them, but really going, hey, look, I could change my lifestyle and do some of these things um, and really not even need a medicine, hopefully, you know, in regards to blood sugar, blood pressure, and even you know, lipids and, and all those types of things. So I would, my thing would be like, hey, give lifestyle a shot. Give it a real shot, not just kind of like, oh, I'll kind of change a few little things. You have to, you have to actually buy in and do it. Um, uh, just realize that that would be my piece of advice i mean it's you know okay now because you're pretty popular and successful i've been asking this question to people who are pretty high up there in their career what's your morning ritual like like what does the first couple hours of the day look like for you the first uh i mean i wake up drink some coffee get going I get my, I have a protein shake and a um, banana and some nuts every morning pretty much. I'm not super hungry. Um, That's pretty much my ritual. And then before I'd go to the clinic, bring my daughter to the daycare and go to the clinic. But now I I just get going, start working on some computer stuff and then start with patients on the Skype. Awesome. So very last question because we're coming up to an hour. Uh, What... Where can people find you online? Do you have any projects coming up, speaking engagements, things like that? You can just go plug away. Um, DrSpencer.com and, of course, my Facebook, Dr. You know, Dr. Spencer Nadolski, and then Instagram, Dr. Nadolski, Twitter, Dr. Nadolski. Uh, projects is basically growing this business as big as possible. No speaking engagements right now. I have a few in the, in the later future, but um, not in the next couple months. Perfect. So I just want to thank you so much for all your time. This was amazing. Yeah, thank you for having me, of course. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 47 with Dr. Spencer Nadelsky. So I'm going to say this over and over again at every episode. Please share this podcast. Help me out. Spread the message, and it'll be greatly appreciated. So until next week, you guys, see you later.